in today's world, people will not walk into a firm looking to learn more about them. If they walk in my front door, they already know everything about me and they're ready to talk about nuts and bolts. The digital diary of my blogging efforts and my social media efforts are helpful to somebody because they can go in and do all of the research on my firm. They can get an idea of what my culture is like. They get a general idea of my personality and what it's like to actually sit down with me through that written blogging medium that's very helpful for when they initially come in. So I think the biggest impact I've had is that digital diary and that ability for people to learn about me before they even walk in the door. Welcome to Better Conversations, Better Outcomes, presented by BMO Global Asset Management. I'm Ben Jones. And I'm Emily Larson. On this show, we explore the world of wealth advising from every angle, providing actionable ideas designed to improve outcomes for advisors and their clients. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Global Asset Management, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Over the course of this podcast, we often cover timely and relevant topics for wealth managers. And many of these topics have later developments after those episodes have aired. In addition, we get a lot of notes and suggestions around topics from listeners with really valuable planning insights that are just not comprehensive enough to make an entire episode out of them. So starting today, we're going to have an intermittent segment we're affectionately calling News You Can Use. We're going to do our best to keep these short and sweet, and we hope that you enjoy them. Let us know what you think by reaching out to us at betterconversations at bmo.com. Now, today's topic is pension lump sums, and we have a companion conversation guide, which you can find out on our website to help you with these conversations around lump sums, whether it's with a plan sponsor or a participant. So, Emily, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm still growing out my hair, although I'm not sure the listeners care. <laughs> no. Or notice. <laughs> no, you definitely can't notice. And for a topic Ben loves, <laughs> let's talk about pension lump sums. Okay. I do love this topic, and it is a bit of a, a nerdy topic, but it is a great planning opportunity for advisors in working with their clients that are either at or approaching retirement. Particularly, the IRS announced recently that employers can offer lump sum payments to pay out defined benefit plans up front. In other words, erase that liability by giving a lump sum to the participant. And there is a lot to consider on this for both plan sponsors and participants. And for the purpose of today's planning note, we'll make sure that we only talk about the participants. So if you are working with participants and they do get offered a lump sum from their employer to buy out their pension obligation, this can sound pretty attractive to your participants. However, there's some really important planning items that you need to consider. The first is, realistically, how long do you expect to live? And this needs to be a real gut check conversation with your clients because everybody expects to live forever, but that's not true as we heard from Genevity earlier this year that everybody has very different longevity expectations based upon their genetic code, their lifestyle, etc. And so if somebody expects to live a long time or a short time, for example, say they have a already been diagnosed with a terminal illness, these are things that need to be discussed. And while they're kind of unfun things to discuss, they're really important in the decision of should you take a lump sum or should you not? 
The second is, should you spend this lump sum in order to delay Social Security to get an increased Social Security match? We did cover Social Security last year, and we talked about some of the delay tactics that increase Social Security payments over one's uh, retirement lifetime. And so if this lump sum would be able to help you delay that, you can do the quick math to decide, does that help your retirement situation? Third is, you need to consider other sources of retirement income. Do you have a spouse's plan or do you have another retirement plan that you can draw on that you might not need that annuity from your pension plan as much as you have some backup sources of income? And then the other thing is this idea of personal objectives, like what is adequate for retirement is different for everyone. And you know, you might have clients that really want to live on a lot less than their pension might pay out. And if that's the case, then those investments might be able to put into something quite less risky. And as a result, they might be able to hit some of their, you know, adequate income needs and have that lump sum without maybe drawing down principal. And so that's that's something to consider. And then the last is, do you realistically think that you can invest those dollars, that lump sum you get, better and get a better rate of return than that pension annuity will pay out over time. And so I think that has to be a real honest conversation as well. And I think this is an area where advisors need to really be objective because it's going to be really tempting for some advisors to say, I can help you and it will do better. Let's take that lump sum. But this is an opportunity where there is a little bit of a conflict of interest there because then the advisor would get paid on that those assets as well. And so you need to be really objective in this is that can we realistically do better than the pension plan would pay out? Because that annuity is really valuable because longevity is the real issue here that you're trying to solve for. Sure. And there's no one size fits all answer. It's going to be a unique response between client and client with one specific advisor. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that update, Ben. Thanks. I'm happy to talk about nerdy retirement topics anytime you'd like. (laughs) I knew that already. Thank you. (laughs) Today, we're heading back into the trenches. That is the modern marketing trenches, of course. Over the last year, we've been covering modern marketing strategies with advisors that are using them successfully. We've covered YouTube and video, podcasts and books. We've also had a lot of listeners write in and ask, what about blogs? I've been reading the Off the Wall financial blog by Monument Wealth Management for a while. And it's a great case study of an advisor written blog. So I asked David Armstrong, the author, if he would join us on the show today and share some of his learnings. My name is David Armstrong. I am the president and co-founder of Monument Wealth Management in Alexandria, Virginia. David's going to talk to us about how he started writing his blog, the costs and tools involved, how it's helped his business, and why he doesn't publish weekly anymore. But first, I want you to hear the story of how he started Monument Wealth Management, because wanting to use digital media was one of the reasons he founded the firm. We started conceiving Monument uh, well in advance of it actually becoming an entity. So I would say in early 2007, I had gotten together with my other co-founder, Dean Catino, and we were at a large wirehouse firm, and we really started to have a desire to start expanding into doing more financial planning and doing more direct communication with our clients through the digital medium. And those things are very difficult to do at, at larger firms. 
So we started researching and doing our due diligence in the independent space. And by May of 2008, he and I left the large firm to start Monument. Um, so during that, let's say, year and a half of conceptualizing and getting the company going, we obviously came up to the decision that we had to take on what is going to be the name of this great firm that we're about to start. And we didn't like the idea of using our last names or any combination of our last names. We really wanted to pick a name that would endure beyond the founding partners and well out into the future. And DC is a town that's full of monuments. Monuments are are interesting because they're they're purpose built. They are they are built to represent something, and they are uh, built to stand the test of time. And we thought, well, geez, isn't that what we're trying to do here with our clients? Aren't we trying to build something that is purpose built and that will endure the test of time and really stand for something? And we thought that that name really resonated with us and and ultimately settled on that. Communicating directly with clients was a driving factor that led David and his co-founder down the path of starting Monument Wealth Management. Similarly, you may be thinking of starting a blog as a means to communicate directly with your prospects and clients. So I asked David how and why he started the blog. It kind of goes back to my early days in the industry where I felt a need to be communicating with my clients in an efficient and an effective manner through the digital medium, things that I thought, my convictions, my philosophies, and my perspective on what was happening in the market on a weekly basis. And I started sending out emails to my clients, was very quickly reminded that when I send emails out to more than one people, it's considered marketing and and not individual communication, and it needed to be cleared by compliance. And that is almost the genesis of why Monument started in the first place when we came out of the big firms was it became very difficult to communicate with my clients in that fashion. But I had gotten such a great response from my clients on the communication and the clarity of my thoughts as it related to what was happening in the market, that the demand for that communication was outstripping my patience for dealing with a large firm's compliance department. So, but your specific question about the genesis of the idea of the blog started out as nothing more than just a desire to send out a blast email to all of my clients saying, hey, here's what I think is going on right now. Here is what's important. And here is the noise that I think you need to filter out that you're probably getting through your television set. What has changed from kind of that original idea of getting the blog out there to how it is today? Yeah, that that's a great question because the efforts and the blog has really matured over time. And I think that is a function of the availability of information to everybody. I mean, information is so ubiquitous right now that people don't need me to send them an email every Monday morning on how well the major indexes did the week before. They already know that by the time they're getting my blog. So if you were to, to see me through the microphone, you'd see me using my air quotes. In the old days, which is really not much more than five or seven years ago, in the old days, people relied on my blog to give them an overview of what actually happened with economic data and market data uh, on a weekly basis. And now in, you know, since the old days, the 
desire for information has really shifted away from that. And I saw that happening because one of the great things about your term, the modern marketing era, or I say the digital marketing era, same thing, is that everything is measurable and you can look and see, okay, how many people opened up my email that I sent out with the blog attachment? How many people actually clicked through on the website? How long, what was the average time that somebody spent on that page reading my blog? It's very, very measurable. Unlike if I had taken the same written words on my blog, printed them out onto a piece of paper, put them in an envelope and direct mailed them to the clients, I would have no way of effectively measuring that. As, as a matter of fact, I would have no way at all of measuring that unless somebody called in and said, I read your letter that you sent me in the old school mail. So what I started to notice after a while was that the interest in what I was writing about started to wane. And that prompted me to start to write about different topics. And I started getting away from becoming a market recapper and a disseminator of economic information that, quite frankly, I think people just started to find very boring and started becoming much more opinionated and pointed in not only my language, but my convictions and my philosophy on the blog. I've been warned that I can tend to sound a little preachy at times on the blog, but for every time somebody calls me preachy, I get an equal and opposite compliment of, I love the way you write. It's just so clear. It makes me chuckle and it all makes sense. For those of you out there thinking about how you would get started, we asked David what tools and technical capabilities are required to start a blog. And this is actually an interesting trip down memory lane for me too, because, you know, as I stated before, it started out as an email. So I, I, I would just sit down and I'd say, okay, I'm writing an email to my mom about what happened in the markets last week, but I'm sending it out to a bunch of people. It started with that. But as technology started to change and it became much easier to manage my own company's website internally. In other words, I didn't have to outsource it to a third party webmaster or somebody that was coding my website. And WordPress came along as a tool to, um, I think actually WordPress may have started out as a blogging tool, but it's turned into more of a website management with a blogging feature. As soon as we discovered that we could run our own website with this blogging engine called WordPress, my marketing manager and I, my my business partner, Dean, we, we sat down and said, you know, maybe what we should be doing is instead of sending out these emails to people, we should be putting them into a blog so they actually become a permanent record of our thoughts and convictions at that time in the industry. Because if I'm sending out emails to people, nobody else can really see them. And I can't really say, geez, here's a public documentation of my opinion at the time. So why don't we change the email into a blog? It's searchable. It's readable. We can index it. We can segregate it by years. People can go in and search for certain terms. We can have tags. And what would be really nice about that is from a new business development perspective and more specifically trying to educate a prospective new client on our philosophies and convictions I can say to somebody, if you wanted to know what I was telling my clients in 2015 and 16, you can go back and look at my blogs and it's all right there as a matter of permanent record. And what I call that is the Monument Digital Diary. So anybody can go back and say, okay, great, Dave, what were you telling people back when the market wasn't doing so well? And, you know, geez, what were you saying over 
December of 2018? What were you saying in the summer of 2012? What were you telling people? What was your conviction? What were you saying was going on? Say, geez, go back and read it. People who don't blog and they're sitting in front of a prospective new client and a client asks that question, which by the way is a fantastic question for anybody to ask advisors, tell me what you were telling your clients over the period of XYZ. I think a majority of clients who aren't blogging don't have the ability to show somebody what it was that they were saying to their client. David's schedule has evolved from a weekly market update blog to more sporadic publishing that's really driven by writing when he has something to share, something that's on his mind, like opinions, commentary, or company philosophy. He explains what happened when he stopped publishing every Monday. It used to be weekly. I used to write on a religious basis Sundays and Monday mornings to get something out by close of business on Monday. And again, just looking at the metrics, I found that when I did a little bit of testing on this, that my click-through, my readership, and my time on the page went way up when I published a little bit less. And so I don't know if it's just, you know, when it was weekly, did people get weekly Dave Armstrong blog fatigue? Or if it just became one of those things like it always came out every single Monday and so people were like, ah, I got other things to do. So now when I publish on a less frequent basis and on a more sporadic schedule, the readership, the click-through, and the time on pages have all gone up a lot. This is a great example of that old adage, what got you here won't get you to where you want to be. Not being afraid to test something new, review the data, then be agile enough to adapt to what it tells you. Next, I asked David how he gets inspiration for his blog post ideas and how he decides what to publish on the blog and what ideas need to be left behind. So I keep a list. I have this running Word document of ideas and I'll, I'll tend to write the title of it and then a sentence or two of what I want to talk about and then close the Word document. And then if I feel like I need to write something and nothing has touched a nerve or come up with as, as immediate spur of the moment idea to sit down and just start typing, I'll go to that list and I'll say like, oh, that's a great topic for me to write about right now. And I'll pull something out of the, the menu that I've been creating of ideas for myself. Sometimes my, my writing will be a therapy session with myself too because I may have had a difficult conversation with a client or I may have come across something in the news that really bothered me. Um, and I'll sit down and be like, well, I'm, I'm going to solve this by putting my thoughts out on the internet on this sort of client behavior or this sort of you know, activity I'm seeing in the marketplace or this, this sort of behavior by other financial advisors. And I'll sit down and I'll just hammer out a four paragraph, one and a half page Word document. And then I'll read it the next day and be like, all right, that felt really good writing it, but I'm not publishing that. <laughs> so sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes I'll write and it'll just be more of like a way of cooling off than it will be something that I actually intend to publish. Now, do you allow comments or ratings on any of your blog posts? I'm just curious if you do that. I know some do and some don't. Yeah. So I feel like I'm kind of a wimp with this. I don't. I Okay. Here's some history on that. One, it started off as being a compliance issue way back where people are like, hey, I don't want you enabling comments on your blogs because it could be misconstrued as a, a client testimonial. If somebody writes, hey, Dave, great blog, and you're right on, and you're absolutely right about this, and I think you're a genius, and you know, it could be, it could be construed as a, as a client endorsement. And so great, great point. Compliance was right about that. And then there was a while where I was allowed to turn the comments on and here's what happened. And this is just my personality, but I'll bet you a lot of people share the same reaction to things. I could have 
this this is like the old thing where they say, you know, losses hurt twice as much as gains. Well, one mm -hmm. negative comment can erase a hundred great comments to me personally. And so I just decided that I was going to write and I didn't care what anybody else had to say about it. And so I turned the comments off because I didn't want to, there was always somebody who was out there trolling me and all it did was upset me and impact my passion for writing. And I just decided to turn them off because I didn't need that sort of negativity in my life. I'm going to relay a quick story to you. Somebody whose opinion I respect greatly, who's actually not a client, called me up on the phone one day about one of my blogs and said, I really want to talk to you about what you wrote because I thought it came off terrible. I thought it was a, it was a, it was a horrible misrepresentation of your intellect. I thought it was completely off base. And I don't think that it was painting the kind of picture that you want people having about your firm. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and so the blog was about my aversion to using private equity and hedge funds and other, you know, things that have a lot of fees associated with them. And I had my you know, little opinion on there like I do in my blog. And it was pretty, and my convictions are high on some of those things. And it probably it was flowing through in my, my language in the blog. And what it turned out was it was offensive to him because he was an investor in those, those investments. And my opinion was a direct um, confrontation to his, the decisions that he had made about his portfolio. And so at first I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I've, I've made this horrible mistake. I've, I've misread. And then I went back and I read what I wrote. I'm like, no, 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 wait, what I, what I'm saying is absolutely right. Somebody else just disagreed with me. And that doesn't make what I said wrong. That was a moment in my life where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep saying what I'm saying. And I don't have to resonate with everybody. I just need to resonate with somebody. Yeah, that's an important concept to keep in mind when you're creating content. I'm curious for those folks who are out here listening to this conversation, given the number of posts that you've written and how long you've been doing this, are there any key learnings or best practices that you'd recommend to anyone out there thinking about writing a blog? Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple. One, and this is going to be a, a fairly common piece of advice, it doesn't make it any less true, which is if you have an interest in starting to blog, my first piece of advice is just sit down and do it. And less is more. So I don't know the exact statistic here, but I think Seth Godin has been writing a daily blog for something like eight or nine straight years. He's never missed a day. And that's because some of his blogs are about 35 words in total length. They're awesome blogs. They're very succinct and they make a point very quickly and that's it. And I love reading them no matter how long they are. So that leads me to my second point, which is after you decide to sit down and just write something, I think you'd be much better off starting off with something that's maybe three paragraphs, one point, make your point, write about it, and then just publish it. Because chances are you'll get a lot of compliments on it. You'll get a lot of compliments on beginning your journey in blogging. I think you'll get a lot of compliments in actually what you say, and it'll make you feel good and give you some encouragement and increase your passion for continuing to do it. I think the exact opposite of that would be a big mistake, whereas if you sit down and you try to write a 750 or a 1,000 word blog, it could take you two or three weeks and then you're not sure about things and you're back there editing it. I, I just think you're better off saying like, hey, I'm going to write 150 words. I'm going to publish it and I'm going to finish this in three hours. And that's it. Here was something else that I learned early on too that, that may be helpful for people listening is that I would sit down and think to myself, how much time did I just spend writing an email, answering a question for a client? 
chances are it's a 450 word answer to something. It's pretty detailed. It has to do with a topic. Well, if I have time to sit down and write a 450 or a 500 word response to an email to a client, don't I have time to sit down and write 500 words about the same thing to everybody? I don't need to resonate with everyone. This is a valuable and common thread we've heard repeated in our exploration of modern marketing. Creating content is about finding people you resonate with, not trying to resonate with every person. So what type of budget is required? How much time and money should you put into creating a blog? Hmm. Well, I think the most expensive thing is time. When I started out in the early days, I hired a freelance editor that I would send the blog to to proofread it. So that could be an expense. There's obviously the, the expense of hosting and maintaining a website, although I don't think that that is an astronomical expense. It could be depending on how much you do and don't outsource the maintenance of that of the website and the blog. We have had a lot of success employing interns for things like graphic design. So a lot of the really great graphics that we're using as blog um, titles or social media pictures are created by interns here that are just looking to build a portfolio for when they ultimately go out into the job search. They can say, here are some things I've worked on for businesses in the past. So if you want to go that route, that's relatively inexpensive. If you want to go with the route of retaining a, an actual graphic designer to do some of your graphics, that's obviously a little bit more money. But those things all strung together, I can't think of many more expenses that get incurred through the blogging effort. What impacts to your business have resulted from you putting these blog, these blog posts out there or the blog out there? The best impact that I've seen in my business, because most financial advisors are, are looking to grow their business. So we just can make the assumption that anybody listening is interested in growing their business. So as I'm meeting with new prospective clients, one of the things that's really impactful is, again, I go back to that term, I use the digital diary. And in today's world, people will not walk into a firm looking to learn more about them. An analogy I'll use there is I don't think anybody walks into the car dealership showroom and says, I'm interested in learning about your cars. They come in armed with invoice pricing, makes, models, options, three quotes from different competing dealerships. The consumer out there is very well educated through ubiquitous information on the internet. And so the digital diary of my blogging efforts and my social media efforts are helpful to somebody because they can go in and do all of the research on my firm. They can get an idea of what my culture is like. That's very helpful for when they initially come in. So... I think the biggest impact I've had is that digital diary and that ability for people to learn about me before they even walk in the door. When people come in the door, do they mention the blog as one of the reasons that they found you? Or you know, how do you measure that kind of Yeah. Uh, so if they don't mention it, I will prompt it. I'll say, by chance, have you had you know an opportunity to go through my website and see the bios, read the blog, or look at any of the videos? And And to a person, everybody says yes. It's habit now for people to go to websites and read up on something before they take the next step and engage with somebody um, face and to so face. So it builds a lot of credibility for for Monuments brand, right? Nobody nobody wants to talk to me until they're ready to really get to the nuts and bolts. You know, nobody wants to. There are no such thing as cold calls coming in anymore, looking for more information. People are getting that already. 
Now, how do you think about calculating kind of the ROI on this effort? You mentioned time's the most valuable thing. So how do you think about, you know, it's not always straightforward with modern marketing, how you calculate that with content. So I'm just curious, how would right. you calculate it? So, so I'll just do some backwards math. If I'm, I'm just gonna make up some numbers. If I end up with a new client next month that has $5 million dollars and I'm just going to use 1% because I can do this math in my head, at, 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 you know, and they're going to pay 1% in fees. It's $50,000 a year. And I look at my total marketing budget and say, geez, I spent $35,000 last year. I say, well, what's the probability that my digital marketing efforts had something to do with that $5 million client saying yes? And, and the reality of that, I, I think the answer to that is always very, very high. Nobody comes in here and says, I want to hire you, and I haven't read your website, I haven't read your bios, I haven't read any of your blogs, I just know I want to hire you, so here's $5 million. It just doesn't happen like that. They come in and they say, I've read all your stuff, I've looked at your bios, I've looked at all, and, and I'm convinced that I'm in the right place, let's talk about doing business. And if they say yes, I look at it and I say, well, just that one client has covered 150% of my annual marketing budget. Therefore, next next year, maybe I should be spending more because if, if $35,000 resulted in one $5 million client coming in, would $50,000 mean that two more would come in? Maybe, maybe not. But I don't think I'm very far off base with that, nor do I think it's worth my time and effort and energy to go in and try to analyze it any more closely than that. If, if people stop coming into Monument and saying, you know, hey, I, I'm, or they start coming to mind and saying, yeah, I, I don't read your blog, I don't do anything. I'd probably look at it and say, maybe this isn't, a, maybe this isn't worth my time. But right now, everybody comes in and says, yeah, I, I've read your stuff, I understand it, I like your conviction, I like the way you think about things, I think you're right, and I want to talk. Now, I'm just curious, like, what's your most popular post or two, like, uh, for the audience out there that might want to <laughs> check it out? Yeah, so um, I know the exact most popular blog because it is the most popular blog of the trailing 12 months. I should even go out and look to see if it's further than that. But by by far, our most popular blog is titled, We Stop Trying. And I don't know if it's the title that resonated with people. I don't know if it was just the language that I used in it, just that I was very forthright about it or a lot of passion in it. But man, that thing is just, it's got metrics that are through the roof rather, you know, relative to everything else. That is our most popular blog. And I think if anybody, if anybody wants to look at a blog and say, geez, I really want to read something that I listen to Dave on this podcast and I hear what he's saying about the power of having conviction and opinion over just regurgitating market data, go read that blog because that's all it is, is opinion and my thinking and my perspective on the business and what I think about people's, you know, good and bad behavior in the industry and how that drove us strategically. Strategically, it has nothing to do with the market, and it's by far the most popular blog we have. I'd encourage you to take a couple of minutes and read Dave's post called We've Stopped Trying. You can find a link to it in our show notes page at bmogam.com forward slash better conversations. Now, one of the reasons I'd encourage you to take a look at this post is that Dave and Dean actually list the type of client that won't like working with them. And they also list the attributes of ones that do like working with them. It's bold yet specific and demonstrates their intent around the type of clients that they wish to serve. Check it out. And now for some closing thoughts from David. And given all of your experience on this, would you go back and do it all again? Like, has the juice been worth the squeeze? It has been. Well, here's a great example of that. You and I would not have digitally met if I wasn't a blogger. And here we just spent an hour talking about my blog. 
So that's, that's I, I would do it. All, and a good example. Yeah, I would do it all over again. As a matter of fact, I should probably be doing more of it. For someone out there listening today who's been noodling on this idea of starting a blog or other digital or modern marketing, like what advice would you give someone listening? The advice that I would give to anybody listening today is to just sit down and write something and make it as if you're sitting down and writing an email to your mom. If you were to summarize our entire conversation today in one or two sentences, what would you say? I would say uh, a summary of our conversation today would be looking at the digital medium as a way to express your personality, your convictions, and your philosophy to an infinite number of people that transcends borders globally. If there's um, people out there that want to follow your work and your thoughts and opinions uh, on your blog and whatnot, how can they find more about you and uh, Monument's uh, work? Sure. So, of course, we have our blog, uh, which can be found on our website, which is monumentwealthmanagement.com. There's a way to subscribe to the blog and, and get an email every time I sporadically publish something and be surprised on any given day. You may get a blog from me. We have social media channels as well. Monument Wealth Management has Twitter feeds, Facebook feeds, Instagram feeds, and YouTube channels. They're all searchable just under Monument Wealth Management. And we'll put links to those in the show notes so people can uh, easily access them. David, before I let you go today, anything uh, else that you'd like to share with uh, with folks listening today? Yeah, I just think that one of, one of the things that I learned about blogging is that there's nothing more valuable than an authentic voice. So don't try to replicate a research report when you blog. Just sit down and type your mind. Hey, David, I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to join us today and discuss this and look forward to maybe circling back with you at a later date, if that's all right. Please do. I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to help. I'm really passionate about making our entire industry a better place for both advisors to work in and clients to be a part of. Thank you for listening to Better Conversations, Better Outcomes. This podcast is presented by BMO Global Asset Management. To access the resources discussed in today's show, please visit us at www.bemogam.com forward slash better conversations. We love feedback and would love to hear what you thought about today's episode. You can send an email to betterconversations at bemo.com. And we really respond. We do. If you thought of someone during today's episode, we would be flattered if you'd take a moment and share this podcast with them. You can listen and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or whatever your favorite podcast provider is. And of course, we would very greatly appreciate if you take a moment to rate or review us on that app. This show and resources are supported by a very talented team of dedicated professionals at BMO, including Pat Bordak, Gail Gibson, Matt Perry, Derek Devereaux. The show is edited and produced by Jonah Guile Newfield and Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative. And these are the real people that make the show happen. So thank you. Until next time, I'm Ben Jones. And I'm Emily Larson from all of us at BMO Global Asset Management, hoping you have a productive and wonderful week. 
The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Global Asset Management, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This is not intended to serve as a complete analysis of every material fact regarding any company, industry, strategy, or security. This presentation may contain forward-looking statements. Investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on such statements as actual results could vary. This presentation is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice and is not intended as an endorsement of any specific investment product or service. Individual investors should consult with an investment, legal, and or tax professional about their personal situation. Past performance is not indicative of future results. BMO Asset Management Corp. is the investment advisor to the BMO funds. BMO Investment Distributors, LLC, is the distributor. Member FINRA, SIPC. BMO Asset Management Corp. and BMO Investment Distributors are affiliated companies. Further information can be found at www.bmo.com.